We're in Psalm 32 for the communion meditation. Psalm 32, and I'll read verses 1 through 6. A Psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask you to have your word uh, penetrate into our minds and hearts. We pray, Lord, that we would uh, listen to it, that we would heed it, that we would understand it and apply it. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. I read uh, verses 1 through 5, even though we've covered them, because this really is a transition point, and 6 looks back to everything that was already stated. So verse 6 says, for this cause. And so the first question you have to ask is, what is David referring to? What is this cause? For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray. Well, if you were to take verses 1 through 5 and sum them up in one word, one thought, it would be forgiveness. All of what we've shared in the last five weeks has all revolved around forgiveness. In verses 1 and 2, it's about how blessed it is to be forgiven. And then the next three verses talked about how when we fall back into sin and how we distance ourselves from God, that entering back into his presence and being forgiven anew is that much more enjoyable. It is life. It is health. It is all that we value on this earth. And so one and two is like the goal state, the perfect state, where you are now uh, enjoying this forgiven state, yet we forget. And we allow sin to distract us from that which we enjoy. So now, at verse 6, he says, For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. If you think about the Lord's Prayer, you realize that several of the petitions, he begins by glorifying God, and then the petitions are that his kingdom will come, that his will will be done, that we will receive our daily food, and that we will forgive and be forgiven. So see, forgiveness ranks where? Right after food. So, I mean, it's critical to us. It's life. And so it contrasts your daily need of real food to keep these bodies alive with the spiritual food, which is forgiveness. We live on this. We live on God's mercy every day. Let me read uh, Deuteronomy 4.29. And remember, this is in the Old Testament. If you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. 
So the question I have is, is finding God easy? No. It takes all of your heart, all of your soul, but we want it to be easy. We know God is there. We know God is available to us. What we don't realize is how it's we that are in our own way at coming to him. If I have chosen to watch a movie one night, and I'm sitting on my couch watching a movie, and halfway through the movie, I begin to think, you know, this movie would be so much more enjoyable if I just had a snack. How hard it is for us to resist that urge to go get a snack. We start, even the, the movie might be really good, and yet pretty soon we're just thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to pause it. And now, you know, we're in the age where we can just hit pause, go get our snack, come back. But yet, how much harder it is for us to sublimate that desire we have had pop up, right? So imagine it as being the opposite. Imagine having access to God is as easy as just the next handful of chips that you take out of the bag. You know, I mean, if it were that easy, where, you know, Lay's had it right, right? You, no one can eat just one. And so you eat and you eat and you eat and you don't stop eating. You're indulging yourself in a way. And yet, if only entering into God's presence was like eating a bag of potato chips while I watched a movie, I'd be in God's presence all the time. I'd weigh 500 pounds, but, you know, I'd have a lot of God in me too. But see, it's the opposite, isn't it? Entering into God's presence is the opposite of going and getting those bag of chips and sitting there. And it's remembering to enjoy that movie, to remain focused on it, to sublimate our desires, and to instead give ourselves over to that greater cause. So see, that's what it's like. And yet, yes, God is there. God is there ready for you to, be, to approach him. Let me read uh, Hosea ten twelve. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. So see, he begins with sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. But what is the next phrase? Break up your unplowed ground. These aren't in chronological order, are they? The sowing and reaping are the goal. It's the plowing up of the unplowed ground, though, that has to precede that, that is hard, that is cumbersome, that is your duty. If you are to sow and reap righteousness, then you must plow up that ground. And yet that is the thing that I think we're so often reluctant to do. That's work. That's hard. I don't want to do that. We want it to be much easier than it is. So to sow and reap requires the breaking up of that ground. It requires the planting and the nurturing of those seeds, the harvesting of them. So see, we want the righteousness, but we don't want the labor that leads to righteousness. We want it to be easy. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. What is the cause again? It's forgiveness. For this cause, for the sake of forgiveness... Everyone who is godly shall pray to you. So see, it's because God has forgiven us, and it is because God continues to forgive us that we are encouraged to pray, that we are instructed to pray, shall pray, 
the godly shall pray concerning this in a time when you may be found. We presume upon God when we think that he is always there to hear us. I remember a phrase that a Malaysian friend of mine years ago said, and it's a Malaysian proverb. And actually, it sounds biblical, and and the Bible does have a phrase that's very similar to this. But he said, how deep is the ground, how high is the sky? These are questions that can't be answered. The Bible has one that tells us that the ground will be as iron and the sun, the sky will be as bronze. What does that mean? That means that God has encased you in this existence that you can't get out of, that you can't penetrate beyond. When we harden ourselves in sins, that's what it's like. The, the, the earth is no longer welcoming to us. The sky is no longer comfortable for us. They bind us. They burden us. And see, that's what this life can be without God. That's what it is without God. In 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Paul said, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. And who knew but Paul, the truth in this. And so, see, there is always this time. It's not like this is for everybody. This is for us as individuals. God interacts with each of us individually. And to the extent that you ignore God's timing in your life, you are ignoring him. You are presuming upon his goodness. When you quench the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit tells you, do this, and you don't do that, you are resisting him. You are saying no to God. And you are thinking that it will have no impact upon my life. I'll just go on as I've always gone on. God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. Right? You don't realize what you lose when you say no to God. But Paul knows all planning that we have on this earth is presuming upon God, right? This is why it was so common to say, Deo Valente, God willing. If God wills, this or that will be done. And it's exactly what Jesus taught in the parable of the man with the barns. He ripped these barns down to build bigger ones, as opposed to really going to God and saying, God, what do you want me to do with this surplus? And Jesus said, he is a fool. God will take his life that very night. So see, our lives, our bodies are rented. We don't own these bodies. They're God's bodies, and he takes them back. When he's done with our use of them, they are returned for deposit. So see, we think we own the days of our lives, and we don't. They're all God's. Surely, surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. So see, the godly are praying. They're thanking God. And they are pursuing God while he may be found And this is what comes then. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. So these great waters that shall come, surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. So see, the floods come. They always come. And the floods, again, are unique to each of us, perhaps. The floods in your life, the floods in my life. Some floods affect us all. But yet, this, of course, is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for the hardships that face you. And so if you are walking with God... If you are in communion with God, then you enjoy that protection of being in his presence. Whatever comes at you, you can handle it because God is with you. He strengthens you. He takes you through all of your troubles. As the uh, How Firm a Foundation, he sanctifies to you your deepest distress. 
And all of this then, see, we talked about forgiveness, but what we're talking about now is prayer. See, prayer is wrapped around this forgiveness like this little thin veneer. This is what God expects of us. He wants prayer. We know God has need of nothing. So the prayer is for us. We know that. And yet, we don't really understand prayer, I think, in many ways. We don't understand that it is keeping us in God's presence. It's allowing us to be protected from these storms of life. The flood shall not come near him. So those godly that pray are protected from this, regardless of how deep your distress is in life. If you are walking with God, they are as nothing to you. They do not undermine your faith. They do not cast you out of his presence. They draw you closer to him as you cling to him. So see, even in the midst of the difficulties, the godly sense God's presence. The godly are not overwhelmed by their circumstances. Instead, in all their circumstances, they go to God. They pursue him. And see, this security is realized only as the godly pray. You might think you can run on fumes in your Christian life, but you can't. You have to plug into God every day because your battery runs down and you grow weak and weary and you then become impotent to really do anything for God and to protect yourself from the hazards that face you in this world. So prayer connects you to God. Who prays here? I don't want you to raise your hands because I would see a lot of liars. I know that. It's difficult to pray, especially in our world, in our time. I know this. I often don't pray. So I know we don't pray as much as we ought. God has designed prayer to keep us under his wing of protection. And yet we do not avail ourselves of it because we feel ourselves safe as it is. And we're not. We're at risk. So as we come to the table, this is an outward illustration of the fact that we absolutely require God in our lives. This is this one uh, symbolic act each week where we, where we admit this, and yet it must be something that you do second by second as you live out your week. And so go to God in prayer. I encourage you that if you tend not to pray that much, pray more. You're not going to just start praying all the time. It doesn't happen that way. You must increase like this. Pray more, pray more, pray more. Uh, use various things to force yourself to pray. Uh, prods. You remember that, uh, I think it was, uh, uh, I forget which evangelist it was, but he would get the rock in his shoe. And as you walk and you have a tiny rock in your shoe, it bites you at times. But he would take that as his reminder to pray, pray, pray. Each time that rock would cause that little bit of discomfort in his foot, pray, pray, pray. See, if you need something like that, if we could benefit from something like that, do it. Uh, I used to have a watch that would beep on the hour. Pray, beep, pray, beep, pray, you know? It's trying to teach us. We want ourselves to be accustomed to thinking in terms of this. So associate things in your life with this command to pray and be thankful for what God has done for you. Father, we thank you for the fact that you love us and you are there ready and willing to hear us 
And yet, you do require all of our heart and soul. And yet, we so often don't want to give you all of our heart and soul, and so you refuse to hear us. Father, we want to come into your presence with thanksgiving. We want to be heard in our prayers. And so we pray, Lord, that you would take us, heart and soul, that we would give them over to you, that entering into your presence in prayer would become like breathing, like eating. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your blessings to us, and we thank you for the gift of your Son that we now celebrate. And we ask you, Lord, please uh, awaken us to the need of prayer in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.